Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. So hello, everyone. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health, our weekly podcast here at CBI. My name is Erin Molyneux-Bailey. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute. And um, as always, we have with us Dr. Kevin Caridad, the owner and CEO of Cognitive Behavior Institute. And this week, we have with us a very special guest, uh, Dr. Doug Henry, who is the, a clinical psychologist and vice president of Allegheny Health Network's behavioral psychiatry, excuse me, and behavioral health institute. And prior to his role at AHN, uh, Dr. Henry was the clinical administrator for child and adolescent psychiatry at UPMC. And his uh, leadership experience uh, before that also was with multiple systems. Um, he has experience doing in evaluations, uh, both individual and group family therapy on an inpatient psychiatric unit, and also served as the lead assessor and supervisor for Santa Barbara County Alcohol, Drug, and Mental Health Services. Um, so welcome, Dr. Henry. We are very excited to have you here with us today, and thank you very much for being here. That was quite an introduction. Thank you, Aaron. Happy to be with you. Wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, uh, as we've uh, Doug and myself know each other through past uh, interactions, and we thought it would be very, uh, very important to have someone, him and his, uh, in a large system, to kind of really explain to us uh, what's going on with Allegheny Health Network here in Western PA and beyond, because I know it's a very large system. Uh, and then uh, and then take it a little bit there and have a conversation. So, uh, Dr. Henry, if you could tell me a little bit more about your role at Allegheny Health Network, uh, I'd appreciate it. Sure. So my role, one of the principal responsibilities of my role is retaining psychiatrists. Uh, and, and that is an increasingly difficult job, as uh, I'm sure that you and your listeners are aware. We, we're in a national situation where there's a, a dearth of psychiatrists. We have 60% of counties in the US um, have zero psychiatrists and 70% have zero child adolescent psychiatrists. So it is difficult to find uh, psychiatrists, uh, but we have had a great deal of success over the past two or three years at AHN increasing our uh, professional workforce. So establishing hiring, professionals is a primary responsibility. Also overseeing all of the um, treatment efficacy, quality of services, uh, regulatory compliance, uh, as well as the fiscal performance of the Behavioral Health Institute at AHN. Those are, those are the primary responsibilities. Awesome. Thank you. So the big thing that's out there that we're all aware of is this pandemic. It's basically, uh, right, globally, we're all in it together, which, uh, which is nice. In some ways, we're not alone, although the isolation sometimes can be difficult. Tell us how yourself and Allegheny Health Network uh, have been managing the pandemic. You know, what has it been like for your staff and uh, interacting with partners that you have? How has that impacted you guys? Uh, it's impacted us greatly. It's, it's impacted everyone. Uh, and it's, it's been a, a huge emotional burden on society in general. Uh, but I've been tremendously gratified by the way that our professionals have responded to the pandemic. So in the middle of March, between March 13th and 15th, 
we were able to convert uh, almost entirely to providing telepsychiatry services in, in a really short period of time. Prior to uh, March the 13th, we were delivering about 4% of our services um, by video. And uh, by the 15th of March, we were delivering uh, just the inverse. 96% of our services were being delivered by video. And so that, there, those two days were um, a scramble of technology, of cameras, of dispatching the equipment to all of our uh, team. And we have about 150 uh, full-time equivalents uh, working in our institute. So it was a heavy lift and it was a lot of um, scrambling in a short period of time but we transitioned rather seamlessly. Uh, and some of the technology has been just awesome. Uh, we continue in our, the amount of video services we're delivering really mirrors how the pandemic has waxed and waned. So we got down to uh, about 60% video uh, delivery in August and September. And now of course, we're, we're back up to about 95%. And really the only things that, you know, our, our, our kind of rule is that if we can treat somebody effectively and safely remotely, that's how we do it currently. So really it's only evaluations for very young children uh, that have pressing needs that just don't work well uh, remotely. And neuropsychological testing are the two types of services that are continue to be face-to-face -face with a lot of precautions taken. One of the things we're hearing, and I know we're experiencing at the Cognitive Behavior Institute, is an overwhelming uh, response and need for behavioral health care. So how have you been managing kind of this in tremendous uh, desire for people reaching out for therapy and demand for, uh, for behavioral health care. How is it, how is your system handling it? You know, how, yeah, what does it look like at Allegheny Health Network? What a, what a great question. And that is, is the issue uh, in, in psychiatry and behavioral health today. And I mentioned the, the dearth of psychiatrists. Uh, we have in, in, in the course of the pandemic, I'll start with just the past, you know, six months or so the, in the course of the pandemic, we've seen demand increase by anywhere from 30 to 40%. And so on any given day today through the course of the pandemic versus January and February uh, of 2020, we're delivering 35% more services uh, than we were before. And as you know, demand before the pandemic was already increasing at a very, at an accelerating rate. So some of the things that we have done is we, we're, we're really fortunate, actually, Kevin. I and I have to I have to tell you, we're really fortunate in that our parent company, Highmark, has recognized the burgeoning need for access to behavioral health services, um, and they're incredibly supportive of me and my efforts to retain more professionals, and have basically given me carte blanche to hire as many high quality people. Uh, as I can find. So we have been staffing up really aggressively since 2017. And as a result of that, um, you know, one of the outcomes I'll, I'll say is that in 2017, we delivered uh, 57,000, a little bit more than 57,000 uh, services and patient visits. And this year we'll complete just under 120 thousand uh, patient visits. And so that is, we're, we're more than doubled uh, in just the past 36 months. 
And that, uh, that will only continue and will accelerate further in 2021. So in answer to your question, we're creating more access. And, and to be uh, even more specific, in 2021, uh, we'll be opening a number of new clinical locations that are uh, focused on providing intensive outpatient and outpatient access uh, at different area, regional areas around southwestern and northwestern Pennsylvania. And we actually have two sites that are going to be opening later this month um, that will uh, offer services for women's behavioral health uh, in both Erie and in uh, the Bloomfield area of Pittsburgh. Fantastic. Yeah. Can you speak to more about what will be opening and specifics of what services uh, that, that will be offered there? Uh, what type of behavioral health services? Sure. So both in Erie and in uh, Bloomfield. In Bloomfield, we'll be expanding our women's behavioral health perinatal depression program. And we'll also be adding new services uh, for infant mental health for very young children, including uh, child and parent psychotherapy, the circle of security evidence-based treatment model, uh, and parent-child interaction therapy, which is very exciting. And I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Uh, it's a manualized, um, sophisticated form of parent coaching involving a psychologist behind a one-way mirror and some uh, telecommunication between the psychologist and parent with the young child uh, in a playroom for a therapy session. Really interesting and powerful stuff, actually. No, I think that's interesting. I think uh, that's very helpful. And I'm just thinking we have to talk a little bit maybe offline on how do we bring that information to the individuals who listen and to our newsletter when these services begin to open because we know the demand is out there uh, and it's difficult uh, to find referral sources. So I wonder, are you able to fill the needs of all the services? And let me, where I really mean by that is oftentimes I know we struggle to fill all the referrals that come in. And so I'm yeah. look, we oftentimes make referrals externally. So uh, does that ever happen with Allegheny Health Network? Uh, and what does that look like? It absolutely does. Uh, and so a critical partner for us since 2015 has been an entity uh, called Quartet. Uh, and, and you know Quartet well. I, I think that you know the one of the principal founders of Quartet. And Quartet is, is kind of like the, the Uber of behavioral health uh, in a way, in that it um, will take a patient that is in need of a behavioral health service, whether it be counseling or a psychiatric service or, or, or some other clinical social work type of interventions and will um, marry that uh, individual seeking services to a private practitioner in the community that is close to that uh, person's home and easily accessible, then also engages in that particular subspecialty um, uh, that they're best able to meet the patient needs. So we use quartet frequently, uh, and I view that, that as unfortunate. It's a symptom of this incredibly accelerating, you know, burgeoning demand, accelerating demand, particularly amidst the pandemic. Uh, so the answer to your question is yes, we do receive more referrals than we can uh, possibly staff and are growing as quickly as we possibly can in a high quality way uh, to meet that demand. I will tell you that our, our use of Quartet and reliance on Quartet has decreased markedly over the past two years. And that's largely because of the new integrated access points that we've opened up. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought Go ahead, Aaron. 
I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up quartet, Dr. Henry, because um, we actually do have, for our listeners, just so they're aware, we do have um, David Wenberg, the, the CEO of Quartet, who will be joining us on one of our future podcasts. So that is a, a great topic that you brought up that we are excited to share more about with our listeners, um, because Quartet, who originally started providing services um, in Pennsylvania has now even expanded to other states. So our listeners nationally, you know, may not be familiar with them and um, can learn about being a uh, provider in their network um, to make sure that there are as many referrals, you know, as possible um, for clients and health systems who utilize um, their network. Uh, As you mentioned, we were one of their uh, first partners here in Pittsburgh and uh, we have, you know, helped thousands of clients on the outpatient level with them. So they are a wonderful, wonderful service. And I know they've been a longstanding partner of AHN. It's and David is wonderful. So you, that'll be quite a podcast when you have David, uh, very, very smart person. But a, a, for AHN, it really was, um, the need was driven by primary care. And so when, um, a primary care physician became aware of a patient with a behavioral health need, they often struggled to uh, get that patient in. And this is something that we're all familiar with in the field and, and continues to be somewhat of a problem. Over the past 24 months, AHN has opened 62 integrated access uh, points for behavioral health. And what that means is providing a licensed clinical social worker or a licensed professional counselor within primary care in 62 different locations in other subspecialties where there's a high frequency of what we call comorbidity um, with that particular disorder and behavioral health. And examples of that are GI, neurology or pain, oncology. Those kinds of subspecialties also have psychiatric and psychotherapeutic capacity uh, for the most part at AHN. Can you speak more about those? Because I, I do know that that is a significant trend, not just locally, but beyond where overall medical costs and outcomes uh, improve when you bring and uh, bring together behavioral health and it's kind of coming a norm. Uh, but that said, I would wonder if you're already talking about an increased burden of 30, 40% or, or greater on, on the system as a whole, and then identifying, doing more surveillance, you're going to increase, how, how are they managing and do how do they do they do brief therapy? Are they doing beginning to end? Do they make referrals? How does that look like in the outpatient setting in a medical setting like you're describing? Great questions. And we uh, looked, there are lots of different models of integration. Uh, and so we studied uh, and did uh, our due diligence uh, for the better part of a year before selecting a, a model called collaborative care. And collaborative care is probably the most um, common model of integration in the U.S., particularly among larger medical systems right now, it comes out of the University of Washington Department of Psychiatry and Population Health Management. And it has the greatest amount of data supporting its efficacy. And in that model, you have a master's prepared clinician who's uh, in, in the case of AHN is always a licensed behavioral health professional, as I said, either LPC or LCSW. Uh, and that person spends 50% of their time providing brief evidence-based psychotherapy, and there are three evidence-based therapies that they use. Uh, And the other 50% of their time, and this is really the secret sauce, is care management. And 
what that care management capacity allows is, is almost what I would call liberating the behavioral health professional. So for, for years, um, you and probably me, uh, or, or me definitely, and probably you have worked in behavioral health clinics where we have you know, 45, 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 52 minutes of psychotherapy. This is what we can do for you. Pick one, which one would you like? And people have a multiplicity of challenges. People may need referrals to a domestic violence shelter. People may need referrals for food security. People may need uh, referrals for housing and providing psychotherapy or providing antidepressant medication isn't terribly helpful while a person has one of those particular needs. There's a hierarchy there and some things, some social determinants needs must be in place before you're going to be able to have a successful behavioral health treatment experience or, or good outcomes. And yet we've been shackled, you know, so people would present with these needs and we can't bill for the hour or the two hours or the three hours that it might take to make such a connection on somebody's behalf, that 50% care management task and assignment responsibility of the um, uh, collaborative care professional really allows that time and that kind of service and that kind of care management to become a billable activity. So, it is very, very liberating. It's a dynamic model that is able to help patients meet their needs, regardless of whether those needs fit into a pigeonhole that, you know, is technically reimbursable by insurance. Yeah, I think one of the trends I think you're highlighting uh, to kind of bring it home is, is there's shared risk. It seems to be a trend with regard to uh, behavioral health providers and medical providers to uh, really gain better outcomes rather than just seeing someone over. Could you speak to any any trends you're seeing with uh, regard to that shared risk with regard to reimbursement? Uh, are you aware of anything with that? I, I've been hearing some noise about it, but it almost sounds like that's what you were addressing in that way. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. And I think that that is what, uh, what really needs to happen to to change our paradigm in behavioral health is we really need to look at um, the way that incentives are, are currently misaligned and, and that misalignment has led to a poverty of psychiatrists and behavioral health professionals. Uh, and it's led to um, large medical systems, you know, not having enough access for behavioral health. Um, it's very difficult for behavioral health programs to make ends meet, uh, whether you're in private practice or whether you're part of a large network uh, like ours. And so the paradigm has to be shifted in the direction of what I would call outcomes-based reimbursement. Uh, and those outcomes are health outcomes. They're not illness outcomes. So what kind of a job are we doing uh, preventing major depressive disorder? What kind of a job are we doing reducing the um, uh, the rate of uh, the evolution of a prodromal symptomatology that is uh, pre-schizophrenia or pre-thought disorder, um, the conversion rate from those with prodromal symptoms to psychosis. You know, that, that rate is about 65%, but with really aggressive early intervention and good uh, early detection, you can reduce that to 45, uh, even to 35%. And so you're actually, in doing so, preventing paranoid schizophrenia or other psychoses. I, you know, what kind of a job are we doing with that? And are we incentivized 
to do that. So if we can incent health systems, if we can incent behavioral health providers, primary care doctors to look for, to detect early, to intervene aggressively, provide access to appropriate supports, then we're going we're gonna to be much, much healthier as a, as a community than we are today. And so that the reimbursement has to be predicated not on the volume of services, but on the health of what we call your panel. So if a primary care physician or practice uh, looks after 6,000 individuals, we call that a panel of 6,000. Okay. And what, what have you been hearing? I know you kind of have a, a special relationship with Highmark uh, uh, and kind of what I'm hearing is describing is how they're being supportive of this. Are you hearing without naming any in particular, if you want to, that's fine. But how about other health insurers? Are they going down that same path? So is this just a, a unique thing to Highmark and the rest of the country? You don't really have to worry about, or is this like a trend that's happening everywhere and people need to take notice because what will happen down the road if they don't? So I think all of the major payers, and there are probably six or seven really dominant insurance companies in the United States, and there's some regional players as well. Um, but each of the major players is, is aware uh, of behavioral health and is trying to, to do something, to, to do some initiative. Cigna is a, a very prominent one, and uh, they've aired all kinds of commercials um, with Queen Latifah and others. Um, uh, promoting awareness of mental health concerns. But one of the reasons that I came to AHN from UPMC is because of Highmark's commitment to transform medicine. It is not, the goal is not small. It, 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 it's, a, it's a very grandiose goal to use a, a clinical term. Um, they want to disrupt, uh, just like the title of, of this podcast, they really want to disrupt and so the effort towards behavioral health is, is not an initiative. It's much more all-encompassing and broad in, in scope. And, it, and it's, it's a combination of a recognition that the system is broken. And in order to survive and be successful, whether you're a health network or an insurance company, you're going to have to change. But it also quite simply, Kevin and Aaron, is it's good business sense, right? If we can keep people more well, that is, um, you know, that's, that's a personal professional goal of mine. And it's also a corporate business goal of my employer. And those two things, when you can get those two things working hand in hand, it's, it's quite powerful. No, I think, I think you're right you're describing what's powerful. I know we probably don't have that much time left. Uh, can you speak to any specific uh, specialized services now that you think would be helpful for people to be aware about? Uh, I know TMS is, is one of them. And uh, if you could speak to some of them and how that process is for individuals in the open kind of system we have here to make referrals to you, what does that look like? Sure. Uh, so TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. And we began uh, offering that service two years ago. And we have a, uh, a device that is rather unique in our area. And it is, it's actually called deep repetitive TMS. And we use a magnet that is an H coil as opposed to a figure eight coil. That's getting a little techie uh, for your listeners. So sorry about that. Um, but the point is, is that it's a device that uh, sends magnetic pulses into specific regions of the brain. You wear a, a, a little mesh helmet and, Treatments last 20 minutes. Uh, they're painless. 
Um, and, uh, and we do uh, 30 sessions as a full course of treatment. So you take um, five or six weeks perhaps to have a full course of treatment. The qualifications for TMS, I'll mention very quickly. So you have to have um, what is called refractory depression or treatment resistant depression and have uh, had three or more failed medication trials with antidepressant medications and two or three failed psychotherapy trials. And unfortunately, Kevin, there are thousands and thousands of people that meet those qualifications. So our deep repetitive TMS has uh, an incredibly high, and I, we, we hesitate to use this term in psychiatry, cure rate, but with TMS, we, I'm not hesitant to use it. So we start with people that are scoring 20 or above on the PHQ-9, again, sorry to get jargony, um, and uh, more than 65% of them are under four on the PHQ-9 uh, by the end of treatment. And, and as you know, under four reflects somebody that is, is feeling quite good. That's, that's, that's great, yeah. Well, this has been an incredible uh, interview. We really appreciate yeah. you taking the time uh, with us, Dr. Henry. Uh, we touched on so many you know, great topics that I think our listeners um, really are interested in. So we really appreciate uh, you being with us. We hope that you will join us again in the future, uh, just because we know there is you know, so much going on at Allegheny Health Network, and we, we look forward to hearing you know, from you back again uh, in the near future. So Aaron and Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, my best to CBI and congratulations on the great work that you're continuing to do. So thanks a lot. Thanks, thank stay you. healthy. Yeah, you too, bye-bye. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Henry, for joining us here today. This has been an incredible um, interview and we know that our listeners uh, will, will really enjoy this. So we really thank you for being with us. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for attending today. Um, if you are interested in uh, giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, that would also be helpful so that more listeners can find us. And we thank you very much for tuning in today. We look forward to bringing you more podcasts in the coming weeks. And we hope um, that everyone enjoyed uh, this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown disrupting mental health. So take care everyone and stay well. Thanks for listening to the Barrier Breakdown, disrupting mental health podcast. Check out our website at cbrcenterforeducation.com for more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events.